I'm Mark Oppenheimer, director of Open Learning at American Jewish University, and this is The Syllabus, a podcast about politics on campus. Every week, we ask deep questions about what students and faculty are really talking about at colleges and universities, subjects from the Middle East to affirmative action to Title IX and so much more. Today, I'm going to play for you an interview I did a little while ago with Evan Morris. He's a scientist at Yale University, and he's been active in organizing Jewish faculty and their allies to pressure the university to take stances on the war in Israel and Gaza. As you'll hear, he comes from a very particular point of view. Some of you will agree with him. Some won't. We want to feature all points of view on this podcast. So please write to me at mark.oppenheimer at aju.edu with your thoughts, suggestions, comments, and I will deal with some of them on future episodes. But for now, I want to turn to Evan Morris. As ever, with a podcast that was recorded a little bit ago, current events have overtaken it. So understand that this wasn't recorded yesterday and that the discussion is not completely up to date, but that's okay. If you listen, you'll hear some really interesting discussion of the role of universities. Should presidents be taking stands? Should they not? And what's more, Evan is going to talk to us about the meeting that he secured with President Peter Salovey of Yale University, and he's going to give us an inside look about what transpired in that conversation. It's pretty frank, it's pretty interesting, and it's exactly the kind of stuff we want to be featuring on the syllabus. Have a listen. Evan, who are you? Where are you from? What's your deal? What's going on? In brief, I'm a professor of radiology and biomedical imaging. I'm a scientist, not a clinician. And I'm really a biomedical engineer by training. We're talking today because I have built a group of Jewish faculty and their allies. And this is a group at Yale University. You are affiliated with Yale Medical School, correct? Correct, correct. But I have secondary affiliations with the engineering school. Okay. And your group, I know, predates the current conflict in the Middle East. It predates the events of October 7th, but there's been a lot of chatter and a lot of activity in your group in the past two weeks. Maybe you could tell us, broadly speaking, what your group, and and maybe tell us the name, because I know you have an acronym, what you're trying to do, why you're writing letters to the president of Yale University, what action you're trying to bring about. So our name for good or ill, is the Yale Forum for Jewish Faculty and Friends. And over the last two weeks, we have been writing letters, many to the president, to try to persuade him to do two things. One, speak out with greater moral clarity about the barbarism that took place that was executed by Hamas and also to hold the line against abuses of Yale's name and resources by partisan groups. First of all, let's be clear that your group is, it's an informal group. It's not Yale Hillel. It's not, it's not funded by, there's no funds as far as I can tell. That's correct. That's correct. It's sui generis, except for the fact that We do have funds from the Academic Engagement Network, which is a foundation which gives money to American Jewish academics to fight anti-Semitism. And how long have you been getting money from them and how much? For a year and a few months, and it's about $30,000 a year. And I should also say in full disclosure that the 
the dean for DEI in the medical school stepped up and supplemented our funds last year and has agreed to do the same this year. How much more did they give you? Well, $25,000 in kind. So some of that is cash and some of it is services like writing contracts and ordering food and things like that. Got it. You've written a couple letters to President Peter Salovey at Yale and you had one meeting with him. Maybe you could tell us what you've been writing to him and what you've been saying to him. So we wrote two letters. One was in the really the first few hours and days of the Hamas attack. And at that point, we wanted the president to focus on preventing what we saw as previous abuses of Yale platforms. So I will call that letter the Calvin Report letter, for reasons we'll also talk about, because we were essentially asking the president to adhere to institutional neutrality, as put forth in the Calvin Report from the University of Chicago in 1967, that is not to block people's privilege of free speech as individuals, but it's specifically to prevent institutions from taking one side in a political debate. And it's actually a, a construct, an idea to protect people's individual free speech. You wrote a letter saying a couple years ago, there was at least one department, if I'm not mistaken, that you felt had used Yale's names. It had spoken as a Yale academic department in taking a pro-Palestinian position. And you were saying that's inappropriate. Rather, the university should adhere to this 1967 document that came out of the University of Chicago that said, look, universities are a community that cannot take collective action on the issues of the day without endangering the conditions for its existence and effectiveness. In other words, the official university should be neutral on current events questions. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Since that time, you've written another letter, which has asked the university not to be neutral on well, events questions. Is yeah, that right? Well, I would. I think I would push back against your characterization, because what we were asking that the president to do a few days later in a letter that was spearheaded by my colleague David Sasso was to speak with greater moral clarity to the community. There isn't a position that we were asking him to advocate, save for the opposition to violence, the opposition to a pogrom against any people. There aren't two viable political positions, pro-beheading and, and, and against beheading. So I don't think that anything that we did in the second letter, asking the president to speak with greater clarity, is in contradiction to our first request for institutional neutrality. Okay, so there was a letter October 9th that said basically, be neutral on this, unlike the way Yale has been in certain cases in the past, for example, with Ukraine. And then there's another letter three days later, October 12th, that says you should speak out and be clear that, say, terrorism is wrong. The way that you did, for example, when Russia invaded Ukraine in February of 2022. And you quote from that. Yes, exactly. And you're saying, so I guess if you had to sum up, some people, some fair-minded people could say, well, nobody supports beheading, although some people support beheading. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a fair point to say that there are certain moral truths 
but it's still unclear why the university should be interceding at certain points in time to talk about current events. And I think your first letter is saying don't, and your second letter is saying actually do. So yes, let's drill down into this because you're quite right. And some people could raise objections to the, the comparison or the combination of these two letters. And it goes to something that you just mentioned with regard to Ukraine. Because there's, in the, in the absolute, in the ideal case, university presidents would not take positions. But we have to also consider the precedents. Over the last X number of years, five for sure, the president has made numerous statements for Black Lives Matter against the murder of Michael Brown or George Floyd for Ukrainians and against the Russians. So you can't all of a sudden now transition to, or I argue you can't transition to total neutrality just conveniently the day after Jews are slaughtered. Okay. So what you're saying is in an ideal world, you support the Calvin Report. Again, this is a 1967 University of Chicago statement that a lot of universities in theory have hewed to. In an ideal world, they never would have stopped following that. They would have just stayed out of current events, stayed out of politics. However, having fallen off that bandwagon a while ago and issuing statements on Black Lives Matter and Ukraine and other topics, they have to keep going. It's morally suspect to stop now in your point of view. Yes, I would call it a double standard. And I would point you to the classic definition of anti-Semitism, which is the three Ds demonization, delegitimization of Israel, and double standards being applied to Israel and the Jews. So let's back up a second. And I, I hear your position. And I'm just, again, I'm without taking sides one way or the other, I'm trying to understand a question of university governance, Sure, which is that as a number of people have written, and as we're going to get into in episodes of this podcast, there, the time when universities could pretend to be apolitical is really pretty far gone. I think everyone can agree with that. They've been it's in the public record. They've been issuing statements the past five years or so on a whole bunch of things. I, I remember talking to students who felt that Yale should come out against Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court, that as an alumnus of the law school, Yale helped make him, and now Yale should help break him, and, I, and that this was a question of existential concern. And so there's a lot of, I think, feeling that universities should be speaking. Let's forego the question, if we can, of a double standard right now. And say, in an ideal world, would universities ever speak out? Would they never speak out? Or would they speak out, as the Calvin Report actually suggests, only on questions relating to university? Yeah, I think it's dicey if universities pretending or positioning themselves to speak for everybody on the, in the community take stands on political issues for which there are multiple viable and respected positions. So I would be against it. I think it preserves my right as an individual to say what I want civilly and without threatening violence against others. But I don't want to be spoken for by a, a dean or a chair or a president. I think that would be the best I think you're correct. That's a long time in the past if we ever had that, and it's unlikely we can get back to it. But actually, I think a lot of university presidents 
probably right now are thinking, once this current wave of statements is over, <laughs> they want to get right back to it. I mean, I suspect we're I suspect this is the moment when they say, we're never weighing in on anything again. Yeah. It's uh, quite an irony, isn't it? Let, let me ask you another question. You work for Yale. I used to work for Yale. I never cared what Peter Salovey said about anything, the president of Yale or Richard Levin before him. Is this purely symbolic or is there actually something that changes in the world when a university president issues one of these statements that's been written by committee with his lawyers and her PR people and whatever? Yeah, that's a very good question. Let's take it in pieces. Part of our letter asking for President Salovey to speak with greater moral clarity was because there was a need within the community. I, we weren't asking him to speak and advise Biden or advise Rishi Sunak or Netanyahu, right? We were asking because there were people within the Yale community who desperately needed to hear him say that Yale is a community that rejects violence. We can debate, it's a bigger debate, whether anybody even listens to college presidents. But certainly within the community, the double standard of showing empathy for Ukrainians, but not Jews, was glaring. But again, was it glaring? Did anyone remember that in 2022, he had issued a statement about Ukraine and, and Russia. Absolutely. Without going to the Google search bar first. Absolutely. Did people remember? Really? Oh, we're constantly at this point, I would say, being assaulted by all kinds of moral statements. And it didn't take a college professor to see and wonder how come there was no statement this time. Assuming that's true, let's posit that's true. Uh, for the sake of argument, you basically also agreed that the statements at this point are worthless. I don't know how they land. I, I don't think anybody outside the university pays that much attention, but maybe I'm wrong. Certainly some big donors to other universities think that it matters, but there's something else that we have to bring in here. The university spends a huge amount of effort and money promoting what they call belonging, okay? Well, I don't know about you, but belonging seems like a pretty simple word with a pretty simple definition, which is that we're all part of the community and we all have value. And if in the one instance, a significant part of our community is injured and desperately in need of the simplest signs of recognition, and it's not forthcoming from the administration, well, then belonging is nothing. It's a hypocrisy. It's just, uh, it's worthless. It's useless, meaningless words. And why don't we just do away with it? And that goes to university governance, I think. And in fact, your group has circulated, I don't know if it was you specifically or us, other people on your email thread, articles that are critical of the DEI initiatives that have proliferated as yes. being hypocritical and inherently flawed. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I'll out myself as a hypocrite myself, which is I am working with people in the DEI space 
who have authentic interests in helping Jews and the Jewish community and our friends. But my feeling about the movement overall, DEI and on top of that belonging, is that it's only really directed towards certain groups. And up until now, the Jews, when they're in need, have not benefited. Hey, friends, if you're enjoying this conversation, please make sure that you subscribe to the syllabus. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, all of the different platforms that you might want. And I'd love for you to subscribe. And if possible, give us a rating if you're feeling it, you know, rate us high, rate us low, whatever you're feeling, we want your feedback. We want your engagement. Please subscribe to the syllabus. Now back to our conversation with Evan Morris of Yale University. So you got a meeting with Peter Salovey, the president of Yale, who went, this was what, October, maybe it was five days ago, October 15th or so. That would have been a last, Sunday. Last so maybe it was Friday. Last week. So it must've been the Friday. Last Friday. So it was October 13th. Yes. Who went? How did it go? Were you satisfied with his replies? So to my delight and surprise, after our second letter, we got an email to the 25 authors inviting us to a meeting with the president the next morning at nine o'clock. And I was happy to see 12 of us showed up the next morning at 9 a.m. And the meeting was quite civil but I think appropriately tense. And if you want a couple outtakes, I can give you a couple quick outtakes. At one point, the president seemed to be saying that something about his letter and the delay in release of his letter was actually a success because we didn't have the same criticism and the same tension on campus, he claimed, as Stanford and Harvard, which I considered to be an extremely low bar. And to which I replied, which is why I'll never be invited to the president's office again, A, that's a low bar, and B, Harvard, Yale, and Stanford are all at this moment quickly slipping away into moral irrelevance. So that was one outtake, I would say. Now, I don't know if uh, I'm outing him or not, but at one point he, to use your word, copped to being a Zionist. And he, like some other, many other college presidents, is Jewish. And I told him, you know what? If you said I'm a Zionist, and here's why I worry and feel terrible about the Jews of Israel, but I can also feel great pain for other peoples who are being terrorized by Hamas. If you said any of that and you spoke from your heart, the world would not stop today. So it was kind of a tense meeting, but it was raw and honest. And since you only get invited once, you might as well <clears throat> use all your shot. Straight from the president's office at Yale from October 13th when that meeting happened. Evan Morris, one final question for you. You talked about Yale, Stanford, Harvard possibly slipping into moral irrelevance, which, by the way, of course, is a charge that gets lobbied by many pro-Palestinian students and faculty as well. It gets lobbied by students concerned about climate change, by those concerned about the makeup of the Supreme Court. 
I want to invite you to reflect on what sort of moral relevance the university should have. There was a time when certain schools like Yale were Christian. Their relevance was they were helping to further the kingdom of Christ. That long ago ceased to be the case. There was a time when certain universities, state universities, had a mission that was about supporting agriculture and farming and economic development in their states. And that largely, I think, doesn't get talked about anymore. I would say that many universities, perhaps later on, say in the mid-20th century, committed themselves to fighting the Cold War. They were against communism. They were, there was a patriotic sense of maybe we're not for Christianity, but we're for Americanness. My sense of many universities is they don't have a strong moral character at all. They're about creating the next generation of wealthy alumni. <laughs> where do we have to locate, where can we locate the moral relevance in the best possible sense uh, for the university? What, Yale, what should Yale or a similar school be standing for? Um, if it's not God anymore, and it's probably not some robust patriotism, if we're being honest with ourselves. Whether a university should be teaching one morality, uh, that's a real dicey question. I can admit to you, as a reconstructed former liberal, that I used to think that universities shouldn't be in the business of teaching morality at all. How would that work? I just thought that people coming to a university, meeting other smart people, and learning to be civil and listen to the other person would become more moral. But the behavior of groups like Yaleys for Palestine, who celebrate the successes of Hamas, shows me that I was completely wrong. And I don't really know what the Solution is what level of morality has to be part of the university education. But I do think, to go right back to the beginning of our conversation, that a president has to speak out and say, fomenting violence, celebrating barbarism is beyond the pale. And it's not part of our university's ethic. And it's unacceptable. And we don't know how you got in, but it was a mistake to let you in. I hardly know what to say, because on the one hand, I think there's a lot in there that I agree with. And on the other hand, it's hard to imagine how one could be a university president if part of the job were to call out students and say, we never should have let you in. Yeah. Okay. Well, No matter what the students believe, right? (laughs) You've got to allow me a little hyperbole, no? I'm, let's see if I can clarify. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to take anything back. We could even talk at a legal level, right? Title VI and Title VII of um, of the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, I see where you're going, and I understand there are legal questions. The, the, the regulatory state has put a lot on universities, Title IX as well, that are difficult to enforce and have made the job more difficult in a lot of ways and have made, administrative, have made the administrative side of universities grow. I think I really would love to end on the, the question of what does the moral university look like and is that even worth striving for? And I think you've posed a question that, that will be really delicious red meat for a lot of people, which is, are there times when university presidents have to speak out against their own 
students? Are there times they have to speak out on current events? Or can we, you know, reel it all back in and say that their job is to preside over a neutral space and let the rest of us do the talking? And that's a world that a lot of people are kind of nostalgic for. In a way, there's a kind of optimism to your whole project, which is that when the university president speaks, people will care and will listen. And that, and even if not, that doesn't mean that the president shouldn't speak. But I think there is an optimism in the amount of effort you're putting in that suggests that it still matters. Okay. I like your interpretation. I think maybe my goals are much more circumscribed. I don't think it's a conflict to ask universities to remain neutral on political issues, but I do think that there is space and it's a platform to be used wisely to, as a university president, speak on general moral issues. I may come to regret that statement, but for right now, I'm sticking with it. Well, I'm going to make it a practice on this podcast always to let my guest have the last word. So that's yours. Evan Morris, Yale professor of biomedical imaging. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest on the syllabus. Thank you for inviting me. Friends, this has been The Syllabus, a production of American Jewish University and InsideHigherEd.com. Next week on The Syllabus, we talk with David French, New York Times columnist, lawyer, veteran, and evangelical Christian. He's going to talk to us about the scandals at Jerry Falwell Jr.'s Liberty University and talk to us about why it is that so many problems seem to beset evangelical Christian colleges. It's a terrific conversation, and if you subscribe, you'll be there to hear it. We welcome mail and replies, voice memos, emails, whatever you like. Write to mark.oppenheimer at aju.edu. I'm the host, but I have a team here that's been super helpful. It includes Jacob Kaufman, who edits the show, producer Alyssa Silva, and also Sherry Hirely, Tessa Grasso, and Amelia Hamill. Our big thanks to Doug Letterman at InsideHigherEd.com for making this show possible. This has been The Syllabus, a joint production of American Jewish University and InsideHigherEd.com. I'm Mark Oppenheimer.